welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Knowing. I am CL Grove, and I am here with my lovely friend, Allison. Hello, Allison. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm going to find a way to enter strong one of these days. No, no, <laughs> it's good. Go, Hello. <laughs> Hi, maybe, maybe I should Maybe I should try a different sort of entry way, you know, like I've been listening to a few or an, an, an entry point um, style, listening to a few different podcasts and some of them I'm like, oh yeah, I could try that. And then when it comes to recording and I just do the same thing I always do and I'm like, okay, how do we, how do we shift this up a little bit? Maybe you should say hello first. That should be your job now. And then I make you just say hello Make me afterwards. be a really awkward. And, yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. Oh my goodness. How's things on your side um, of the world? Things are all right. I, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just feel like as we, as the weather starts to get colder, autumn starts to come in, I do mm-hmm. think that there, I already feel that kind of like introspection coming in for a lot really? of people and also myself, where it's like, you know, reevaluate what this year has been. Yeah. what we want the next year to be as much as we could possibly have any kind of foresight on mm-hmm. into what next year mm-hmm. could be like. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thing, things are okay. I feel like I, I kind of want to just dive right in mm. and um, bring up kind of the running theme, I think, that I've experienced this week, which is like a lot of my friends uh, feeling like they're struggling with choice and feeling like they're going to make the wrong choice because I think mm-hmm. everything we're going through right now, because it's such a liminal space for everybody, it feels mm-hmm. like every decision I make is huge and yeah. will affect the rest of my life forever. And so it's very serious. So it's like, how do I, how do I go into, you know, which fork in the road to take mm. and not feel like I'm, you know, missing out on whatever I'm leaving behind, right. if that's even possible. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. It's really interesting, though, as you were saying, you know, the the sensation of fall approaching and the weather changing and like we're going into this, you know, the introspect of the yin time, the dark time, you know. And we went from like, I think it was four weeks ago, it was plus 25 here, like outside in a, you know, bathing suit, like a totally comfortable summer weather. And it's currently minus Mm -hmm. 17 right now. So with like so much snow, it was, there was no gradual like descent into the underworld. (laughs) It was like, and go, you know, and, and seriously, that's what it's felt like the last like week and a half. Totally. It's like just this like bizarre, um, yeah, just pull downwards, you know, into really, intense stuff you know but um the way you frame that you know I I think is really interesting to me Allison if um and I I can't remember the words exactly that you used but basically like you know this uh in in sort of looking at this is this time of reflection of like what this last year has been what we want the the future to be like 
And I think that that approach to um, making decisions, to making choices, to, you know, a lot of this, uh, what I would call the sort of manifestation world of of nouveau spirituality of like what do you want in your life and what are you going to create and and what do you want your life to look like and how much money do you want to have you know I mean I'm not saying that those are unimportant questions but if we look at all of the ancient lineages all of the teachings of of every well-established system of spiritual you know growth and awareness um, the emphasis is not on what are you going to make happen in your life? What are you going to create? Mm-hmm. It's on who are you going to be? What are the principles by which you are going to operate in your life? How are you going to treat other people? How are you going to relate to your own mind? How are you going to express your creativity? I mean, these these can be sort of outward, you know, oriented questions, but I feel like... This is a a missing link sometimes. And we sort of talked about this in the last episode, you know, when it came to self-reflection and stuff, is that in our world, we're so materialistic. We're so looking at what things look like, you know, and and the the structures of our life. And again, I know that they are still important. You know, we we have to have money and everything else, but and and a place to live, and we want a life that that fulfills us. But I, I really know, and this is a, a perspective that's very important in shamanic practice, that our inner alignment will be reflected in our outer experience, right? And that's what we aspire to is saying, you know, where am I misaligned? Where am I doing one thing and saying another? Where am I feeling one thing and doing another, you know? And that's the question that the yin period that's descent into the underworld, I think, is is important for us to carry with us, not okay, so how did people let me down last year? How did I not get what I wanted? How did I get, you know, screwed over or whatever? And how am I going to make that different this year? I think that's where a lot of our frustration comes from. Does that seem fair? Mm -hmm. It does. And I feel like what has, what feels very tied to that is the idea that your purpose and your profession are the same thing. And I think because we, <laughs> totally. because we have to like pay our bills, because we have to, you know, take care of ourselves, it's like, well, the way I do that should be tied to the thing that I am totally in love with. Because I mm-hmm. feel like we're always bombarded with like, you know, if you love it enough, it won't feel like work. And so mm-hmm. I think that there is this kind of like avoidance of just like, meaningless work or mm-hmm. menial work, I guess. I don't know. So I think that it's like there is all this pressure that not only do I have to find my purpose, but it has to make me money so that I can survive. Yeah. Because now that you say that, I think a lot of these choices that people are make are trying to make are tied to how can I survive and be happy. Right, right. And Which I mean, is valid. That, it's totally valid. And for, I suppose, maybe the purposes of this conversation. I was sitting in the sauna this morning and, you know, doing some prayer and thinking about the day and, you know, focusing on stuff. And there was a really, you know, interesting message coming through. And I'll see if I can frame this correctly. But it was that, like, this this idea that when we come into the world and say, you know, what about what I have, right? Like, what about me and what I'm doing? And it's this deeply 
egocentric kind of position, right? We we tend to be focused again on, you know, thinking about us a lot of the time. And I, I think that that's actually a highly unnatural state for a human being as an organism to be in, is just thinking about us and what we need and stuff. But that modern capitalist society um, provokes a sense of inherent insecurity in all of us. Because even when we have a lot, which we do as modern humans, we have so much. The system and the way we experience it, the way we engage with it, often makes us feel like we're never enough, right? We're never quite good enough. We are always told that you should want more, be more, have more, you know, be accomplishing more. And and I mean, especially, you know, in the obviously the era of, of social media and online, you know, experiences is that like, it's not enough to have 20,000 followers. It's not enough to have 100,000 followers. It's never enough, right? There's this, mm-hmm. this you know, what they call that, that wetiko virus in the uh, Anishinaabe tradition of, of this, this cannibalistic energy that is consuming itself and its world, but it's never satisfied, you know? And that's, mm-hmm. that's if we're in that mindset um, of of Western capitalist society, there is this inherent fear all the time that we're not okay, that we're not going to have enough, that we're not going to be safe. And this is a hard point to make because, I mean, you know, we always want to be careful to qualify that, like, if you are starving, unable to pay your bills, yeah. you know, I mean, there is insecurity in the world. There is insecurity in people's lives that exists in a very intense way. But I think a lot of the time, you know, for you and I, we we have safety. We are in an apartment and, and it might not be the house, the apartment, the whatever that we think that we want or that the system has actually conditioned us to think we should want, you know. Mm-hmm. But we the that insecurity provokes self-centeredness. And from self-centeredness, we cannot be fully human. We just can't. We it's it's not the way we're designed. We are actually, and I mean, this is my experience, and but also the the foundation of my belief system that like we are beautifully generous beings when we feel mm-hmm. loved and safe and supported. But loved and safe and supported is actually a conscious choice to feel that as an anarchistic kind of position to what modern capitalism, right? To go, I'm not going to be dissatisfied with myself. I refuse. I refuse Mm -hmm. to think that my life is, is not enough. Right. And, and the antidote, and this is, you know, the beauty of these three tools in shamanic practice, the antidote is gratitude, blessing, compassion. And if any point in our life, we are feeling um, anxious about making a choice, go to those three Mm -hmm. things. And remember mm-hmm. how beautiful your life is. Look around you, see the trees making your oxygen, see the, you know, the, the food that you have, even if it's not the food you think you should have or whatever, but like find gratitude. Mm-hmm. When we practice those three tools, our mind can't stay in that highly activated uh, trauma state, really, where all it can mm-hmm. perceive is threat to ourselves, to our basic safety, and all it can function as is deeply self, um, self-absorbed, right? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It makes total sense. I feel like um, it's so hard to touch those three things when you're in the thick of it, though. When, when totally. you are like, yeah. ah, I'm going to mess this up or I'm mm-hmm. not living up to my potential. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a big fear of mine mm-hmm. that it's like I will somehow mm-hmm. misuse my life because mm-hmm. I didn't 
you know, do what I was supposed to do here. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. So how could I possibly know? (laughs) Uh (laughs) But it's like, you know, how do we actually, what's like the entry point into gratitude and compassion and blessing Mm -hmm. when you feel solo? Mm -hmm. The body, for sure. You know, I think that the simplicity, and this is something I've been doing a lot with clients lately. And it's been, um, I mean, not surprisingly profound because I know how profound it can feel for me but I think I have been amazed by how um, immediately people have been able to connect with this during this practice during this really intense time is the simplicity of putting your hand on your heart and feeling your own body and and grounding yourself I mean that's that's the the essence of it so much of the time Allison we are asking ourselves to make good decisions from an ungrounded place is that even possible Is it even possible? No. It's not. No. All we're going to be making is reactionary decisions, right? Not responsive decisions, not coherent, cohesive, conscious, you know, decisions that are actually aligned with what we want and how we want to be in the world. It often, I mean, I've said this in previous episodes, is that if we look at our choices, we are making a choice because we don't want to feel something. Really. And we tell ourselves, no, I'm right. making a choice because I want to go here. But actually what we're doing is we're trying to avoid a feeling. So yeah. if we're in that, I mean, that is that is the driving force of our capitalistic society, right? Is wanting to not feel things. We are a trauma-grounded civilization. And if we want to change, and yes, it is hard, you know, but I mean, we're basically trying to uh, hold everybody else around us accountable for doing this hard work and say, come on, you look at your trauma, you you look at your behavior, <laughs> right. you change yourself, right? And then going, yeah. but I can't do that. That's too hard right now. You know, like I'm busy, right. I'm stressed, I'm whatever, right? And it's, it is, it's excruciatingly hard. It's, you know, and it's not going to get easier as time goes on, you know, to stop, mm-hmm. to pause, to actually find what brings us back into ourself and and not and into the moment, right? I mean, these all of our practices that cultivate present moment awareness, meditation, yoga, you know, you name it, all of the things that we do to say, let me stop running away from the feeling that is here. Let me make peace mm-hmm. with it. Let me, you know, integrate it into my experience. And then we can make conscious choices. Now, you know, we were just chatting before we got on the call though about this sort of philosophical dilemma of like, are we actually making any choices or, you know, are your gut bacteria really making your choices for you? And and I, <laughs> my personal experience is that uh, when I am fully grounded and present, there's very little pressure on the choice. It's not a there's a good choice and a bad choice, a right choice and a wrong choice. It's more a... Um, <laughs> Tom Robbins, um, this is a total aside, but Tom Robbins is one of my favorite authors. And he he wrote this book called um, Still Life with Woodpecker. And Woodpecker in the book is this like really fantastic anarchist who travels to Hawaii to blow up a, like a hippie convention basically because, but he's, he's not like a bad guy. He just likes cause he's, he's a trickster. Right. And he says in the book, there are two mantras in life. Yuck and yum. And you have to figure out how to feel into circumstances, you know, and he basically, he just says, he's like, my mantra is yum. And I follow things that make me go yum. 
right? And I know that seems really mm. overly simplistic. And this is like, you know, Joseph Campbell's like, follow your bliss, right? And it's a beautiful right. idea, but um, I don't know if I mentioned this on a previous episode, Joseph Campbell later in life uh, sort of reframed it or offered another adjunct kind of <laughs> position. He's like, also follow your blisters, like go and do the things that are hard, right? Because we can't just... Yeah bliss sometimes we mistake pleasure and ease for bliss they're not the same thing mm. right eating candy right. and and laying on the couch is not bliss it's it's numbing and pleasure but so anyways but yum you know when i when i am in a grounded space and there's a decision that has to be made my body will go hmm yum like i want to go in that direction right and it's mm -hmm. not because i'm thinking like oh god okay so what's the outcome going to be and is this going to be the right thing or the wrong thing there's no anxiety implicit in mm -hmm. the choice process it's just a it's like following a river or or being in a river right the river just is going here this is where you're supposed to go and it's it is an experience of almost a lack of free will, quite honestly, because it doesn't feel mm -hmm. like a choice. It's like, no, this is this is where I'm supposed to head. Does that make sense? Do you? It does, but does, do you think it applies still to bigger decisions in life? Like, should I change my career? Should I move mm -hmm. to this different place? Should I, you know, commit to this person for the rest of my life? Like those big decisions that are all... They, carry with them a lot of gain and mm -hmm. a lot of loss. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's still, like, I, I feel like in one way, I feel like yum is so simple. And in, in another part of me is like, well, I feel like a lot of the answers are so simple that it feels like, well, that can't be it. Because <laughs> this is way too easy. This is serious. We have to take this seriously. <laughs> but yes. it, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, um, the, you know, this idea of of turning life into play, turning work into play. You know, capitalism and, and the system we exist in, Allison, really likes to tell us that, like, you know, you have to figure out when you're five years old what you're going to be when you're older. Yeah. And there's this seriousness and, like, till death do us part and, and this is the relationship you're with. For forever, the person that you're committing to, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating for like, you know, just well, just get divorced. It's not a big deal, or like, you know, shifting <laughs> out of stuff. Like, right. I, I'm, I'm for you know, commitment. But if we are gonna strangle the life force out of you know our experience by putting so much pressure on it that like there's a right way mm -hmm. and a wrong way, and and that you know. I don't think we're going to have very much enjoyment or, or happiness in our experience, right? And I, I, again, I I don't think that that's what humans are built for, you know? I mean, you look at yeah. these, we've talked about in, in previous episodes, these so-called self-actualized people, you know, people who are in their in their zone, in their alignment, you know, they're goofy as hell. They are, they're playful. Mm. They're, they are like children, right? In that, in the best possible way. And, I mean, if we have a serious decision to make, are we going to make it more clearly and better by putting a lot of pressure on it? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of pressure has worked for me well in the past. <laughs> Has no, it, or is that the only no, thing that you? Is no, it the I'm only kidding. thing we know? Right? I'm kidding. Yeah, no. It's put it, pressure makes me completely immobile. I can't totally. make any decision when I feel like, oh, this yes. is it. 
I right. better not, you know. So then we make a decision, probably. We have we make a choice and we go, okay, this is the right one. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then, you know, we generally tend to question it or when, as soon as something goes wrong, we beat ourselves up and we feel guilt and, and shame for making the wrong decision or whatever, like the pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's fear in a different costume, right? This fear yeah. of I can make a wrong decision. I can, you know, somehow I am going to mess up my entire life by making this potential decision, right? And that, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we make good decisions when we're in that place. And I think, again, we need to come into grounding, connecting with the body, um, uh, and, you know, putting a hand on our heart and going, hey, I'm here, I feel my breath, I'm okay, right? Doing this, like, kind of regulatory work, right? Our, you know, the the systems of our brain, when you look at, say the, the so-called limbic system or the the mammalian brain, you know, which is the the central core part of our brain, which is very reactionary and it's very important when we are in a, a fear-based, you know, situation or fear-inciting situation. It says, make mm-hmm. a decision now, do something, you know, to get away from this decision, right? It's not a place we want to be making a lot of decisions from all the time, though. We only want to be making decisions from that place when we are being chased by a bear or, you know, someone is threatening us, right? We don't want to be making life, big life decisions from that place. (laughs) We make really bad decisions from there. And I think that most people are making those their decisions from that place because they're they're coming again from this place of, I don't want to feel this. I feel anxiety. I feel nervous about, you know, making the right decision. And so they're expecting that, you know, something brilliant to emerge out of their mind from that place. (laughs) Right. Right. It's not going to be brilliant. It's going to be chaotic. It'll be a reactionary choice to get away from a feeling you don't want to feel. So Mm -hmm. if we want to engage the prefrontal cortex, you know, the the higher structures of the human neurobiology, we have to regulate first. We got to stop, find our breath, say, okay, I'm here. I can find some gratitude. I can find some blessing, you know, which if we're going to engage with Tonglen, we can go, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now. Can I send Tonglen and some energy and medicine to other people who are feeling anxious? You know, that can help us regulate. And then clarity will emerge, you know. Um, and it's it, it's a hard thing to say whether that clarity is emerging just out of your brain or is that clarity emerging out of your brain being this receptive organ to the intelligence of the life around you and within you? Who knows, mm-hmm. you know, and... I don't know. Right. Go ahead. Then you touch into into free will again. Uh But it's like, is it actually, are we making better, quote, better decisions when we're opened up to being receptive to what the answer is versus like our willing, our own mind to figure it out? Totally, totally. You know what I think it is? I think what you're touching on, which is, the hardest thing for me is patience where it's like, you know, I think that a lot of the pressure is that there is a choice to be made and I have to make it right now in this moment. And I think that it's like, okay, how do we sit with the choice Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I am not in a place where I can clearly say yes or no to either. And Mm -hmm. so maybe there doesn't have to be a decision made right now, but that also builds anxiety that it's like, oh my God, now I'm just sitting on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> totally. exactly. Totally. No one could see us. We we could see each other uh, now that we're doing this on video. <laughs> we're both like doing these really interesting vibrational movements. And then I'm like, oh, that's not translating <laughs> yes, into sound. That's not. That's <laughs> a great point. <laughs> Me just shaking my body from side to side. You know, no, they can't see that. We need some sort of like auditory like wobble. Maybe I'll get Air Air <laughs> to edit that in. Put so, a little sound effect in. I totally. Um, so I, I can't remember if we were talking about this, Alison, but the root of the word patience in Latin is patrios. Um, were we talking about this? I don't think so. We haven't, no. So patrios means to suffer. And patience oh to have. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Isn't that awesome? And, and like, yeah. it's, but think about this because, you know, our world, our capitalist world, you know, our modern world the the virtue that I would say that we lack all the time, that the thing that causes the most dissatisfaction and unhappiness for us is a lack of patience, right? A lack of, of being able to be present in this moment, which I think is sort of a secondary outcome of having patience, right? Yeah. But if patience, to have patience is to suffer, again, um, if I can frame this right, so when we're making a decision because we want to avoid a feeling, right? We're feeling uncertain. And so we think, ah, oh, I just need to make a decision, right? You can feel the impatience in there because we're not willing to suffer, to sit with the emotional experience in that moment of uncertainty, self-doubt, you know, questioning ourselves in the world, whatever it is that's in that moment. It might also be we're angry about something or we're really sad about yeah. something, right? But there's suffering in that moment. To have patience is to practice encountering suffering. Now, mm. Western society is a suffering-averse society, right? Where we say, oh, yeah. we shouldn't have these things. Oh, oh, you have sadness? Let's take a pill, you know, or give you a pill and you should mm -hmm. get rid of these things, right? Right. And basically, I mean, over a few hundred years, what we've been doing is is stuffing, probably longer, really, you can go back to the medieval ages in, in Europe and perhaps even further back. We've been stuffing suffering down and going, oh, we don't want to deal with that. Let's let's put it somewhere, right? And for whatever reason, I was I was thinking about this yesterday because like we live out in the woods and we have garbage. You know, every household makes garbage and we can take it to the dump. But I was like, what if we didn't have a dump? Like, what do you do with your garbage? We just basically right. like dig a hole and put it in it and bury it, right? And that's what we've been doing <laughs> as right. a human species, just, right? Just if I can't see it, it's not totally, there. Totally, <laughs> it's not there, right? And um, yeah. and I mean, we have these, these garbage dumps all over the place. We have them, you know, metaphorically in our own psyches, in the collective <laughs> unconscious, right. right? And I mean, this is the reckoning of like, we can't keep the garbage back anymore. I mean, I, I don't know if you've been to, I know these are a little bit of tangents, but I don't know if you've been to a, a beach in the last while, but I went to Bali, um, God, five years ago and mm -hmm. the beaches are garbage, Allison. Like there's plastic yeah. from one end. To, like the sand is plastic. It's it's fine particulate plastic now, you know, because yeah. it's it's just we've been putting it in the ocean going la 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 la. Like can't see it. Don't want to know that it's there. Right. And now it's all here. We don't get to not suffer through this. Right. So whether we're yeah. going to do it consciously or unconsciously, the suffering is asked. It's, it's asking to be attended to right and and right. it's for each of us right of going what emotion 
are you uncomfortable with? What emotion makes you go into impatience and and making, you know, rash reactionary decisions? And how do we slow ourselves down and come into it, you know? And and there's no there's no process, no magic wand, you know, that's going to just all of a sudden make it so that we can just feel this and then we're going to be done, right? It's it's can we consciously um, practice patience, you know, as a virtue, as a thing that is is absolutely critical for our healing process and the the healing process of humanity. Right. Well, it's funny because it's like this kind of avoidance of suffering. You're not actually avoiding the suffering because when no. you're sitting there spitting, <laughs> it's, you're like, okay, I'm not suffering like that. I'm just suffering a different way totally. to avoid it's like this weird meta circles in on itself thing where it's Completely. just like we're never actually not suffering by avoiding the suffering not at all and i mean this is the you know the practice of of so psychological maturity you know but being an adult is saying I'm not going to run from things that I'm scared of anymore, right? I'm I'm not going to pretend things aren't there, right? Like children, you know, I can ask my son to do something and and he can actually tell me he did it and then pretend well and not do it, you know, and and be like, I don't know, you know, like I, I think I did it. He knows he didn't do it, right? Like did you hang your jacket up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, you know, and he completely knows, right? But that's yeah. that's the the child mind because the child mind um, does not have full access to the prefrontal cortex. I mean, it's really not online for people until they, they're about eleven years old, and it takes till we're twenty two or sixty eight to actually get fully online. You know, so that we can <laughs> right. access that part yeah. of our brain, right? But um, as an adult, we no longer get to pretend. We don't get to say oh, I don't see those dishes, or I don't see that thing on the floor, right? We we call ourselves, and I mean, this is the practice of impeccability in shamanic practice, which is like, you do what you know you should do. When you, when you know that there's a conversation you need to have, or there's something you need to address, or there's, you know, a, a test you have to go take because you've got a physical symptom and, and you're not sure what's going on. We don't avoid, you know, we we attend to what is in this moment. And as you say, though, what what we get out of that by actually addressing head on, you know, and, and with not too much aggression or force, you know, but just consciously and impeccably showing up to what's in our life we actually reduce the suffering in our life, right? Because when we we know on a subconscious level that we are avoiding certain things and that causes a lot of, you know, perpetual anxiety that becomes, um, I mean, it, it becomes sort of like background noise or like the wallpaper, you know, is, if it's there long enough, we don't even realize it, but it it can get to deafening levels when the, especially the outside world gets chaotic, which is what's happening for people right now, you know, is that we right. can't pretend anymore. Right. And I think it's just like such this, like a deep resistance to feeling uncomfortable in any way. And that it's like, we kind of are told that if we are uncomfortable, it's because we're doing something wrong. Because we are fed this thing that we're supposed to be happy all the time and things should feel good all of the time. And so it's kind of like, it's hard not to feel that these unpleasant experiences aren't somehow attributed to our not being enough. Like we Mm -hmm. have failed Mm -hmm. because I feel like trash. Totally. We are seriously, Alison, like we're in this moment of 
the most brilliant reconceptualization, recontextualizing of what it is to be a human being. And, you know, I think that, I think that this, there are so many different levels of, um, of the structures and social norms and belief systems and everything else that are, that are kind of up in the air right now. It's like all of the balls have been tossed up and nobody really knows how it's going to land. And, and I think that it's, you know, on all of us to consciously decide, well, how do we want to construct this society? Not from a trauma place where we're trying to avoid things, but in a conscious, awakened manner to go, what, what, what do we want to be doing here? You know, like, what are our value systems? What are our, our collective beliefs, you know? And I mean, maybe I am deeply uh, childlike in my sort of conceptualization of what's possible, but I do think that all human beings can actually come to a place where we can agree on certain value systems, certain things that are essential. I mean, no one on the planet can disagree that we need oxygen, you know, and thereby right. no one can disagree that our relationship with nature is essential. And we need to be starting to really talk about those those co- core ideas, right? Um, I was listening to a podcast with Sam Harris and he had, I can't remember his guest name, but he was a professor at Harvard. And he was just talking about, you know, the failures of our meritocratic, merit, meritocratic society right now. Like we have a meritocratic society, right? Which is like, you know, you if you're hardworking and smart and blah, 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 and then you should have lots of money, you know? And he's like, this is, it's really failing us because basically, you know, the the wealth disparity and, and the, I mean, the, the distance between all sort of dualisms of, of human life are growing wider because, you know, people who got lucky in the genetic sort of whatever and or the life thing and were born into some white middle class family who got to go to university and then their kids get to go to university and, you know, and, and there's this like widening gap based on so-called right. merits, right? And But his argument was that maybe we are not, consciously deciding what a merit really is you know is a merit hard working and making money yeah. you know or is a merit being compassionate and loving and and joyful right mm. and and so yeah. like the value system determines you know what the the, the actual picture of the society is going to look like right and our value system right. still is capitalism it's still are you are you living your potential are you you right. know making as much money as you should are you as famous and as big as you should be maybe we're right. maybe we're judging ourselves with the wrong metrics right well it's almost like our merits have to be visible or they don't count yes yes totally totally <laughs> so it's like you know uh if you are a very compassionate person and no one knows it it's like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. does the does tree matter? falling in a forest <laughs> make a sound <laughs> But this is, you know, and and I think this is where our, if we're going to commit to a belief system, you know, again, you look at every historical, every ancient lineage, they did not say like, oh, you need to go and show people what a good person you are. You know, it's it's about this interior, this internal relationship, first and foremost, to go like, are you being honest? Are you being patient? you know, high integrity. Are you, are you speaking your truth? Are you being kind, you know, but not nice, you know, and and enabling? Are you, are you looking Mm -hmm. at your own stuff, right? And the, the payoff for that 
is the experience itself. You know, it's not that we make more money or people like us more or whatever. It's that we don't feel all jung jambled up inside because, you know, we're saying one thing and doing another. It's it's peace, you yeah. know, that we get as as the the ultimate prize in a sense, right? I have a this this kind of taking it back. I feel like you know, generally we are kind of have an understanding of gratitude and gratitude practices and how to kind of look at that. Uh, generally, we know about compassion and, and trying to do good, um, even though I think there's a lot of complexity there. But I feel like so blessing much. is a tricky one to mm-hmm. understand, at least for me, um, mm-hmm. that it's like, what does it mean to bless someone without also being like self-important of like, you know, I'm, I must bless everyone I cook. You know what I mean? Like, how do you be like a real person Saint and also us, bless? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I mean, as you know, as we have sort of briefly explored in previous episodes, but then I did that one recording um, solo podcast last season talking about um, Tonglen. You know, Tonglen is the blessing practice that makes the most sense to me um, in that it... It doesn't ever have the capacity to be showy or egoic. It's very mm. hard for the ego to take it over because uh, nobody gives a shit whether you're doing it or not. You can't see that you're doing it. You can't be like, look at me. I just gave money to these people. I'm amazing. You know, yeah. like you're you're yeah. doing it in your own internal space. And as such, you know, like it's, it's a very hard practice to be um, co-opted. So mm. when we do Tonglen, you know, we are engaging with, and this is, this is also, it, it strengthens our internal psychological and spiritual muscles for patience because in Tonglen, we are moving towards suffering consciously, right? We're saying this person is suffering. I see this person on the street. They are hungry, cold, whatever, hurting. They, they, they are obviously suffering. I'm going to conceptualize of their suffering as an energy and I'm going to pull it into my body, right? I'm going Mm -hmm. to actually move towards suffering rather than being aversive of it, which is our normal psychological state. And so, you know, that strengthens us, right? It builds this internal sense of resilience and capacity to move towards suffering, both ours and that of the world, right? But then we're also consciously being... Um, medicine people, right? And everybody is a medicine person if they decide to be that. And they will, mm-hmm. we will say, well, what does this person need? To, what do I think that would be beneficial for them? We don't tell them, we don't talk to them. I mean, you can give people money by all means, go for it. But it's more about this energetic exchange, you know, with our, our us and the world and, and unifying ourselves with other people by going, here, I'll send you that bit of medicine. Maybe it's peace and we cultivate it in ourselves, you know, and then it he, he, it helps us too, right? Our yeah. healing is other people's healing. Other people's healing is our healing. And then, I mean, is the essence of the Bodhisattva vow is to say, until everybody's healed, I'm not going to stop doing that, right? Stop intending to give medicine all the time in the world, right? And right. and I, I mean, the, the challenges as our, very well explored in in Tonglen practice are that it's there are people that it's easy for us to do that for and then there are people that mm-hmm. were like no I don't like that person I don't want to send them any medicine right and we stick mm-hmm. with it we stick with it until we can do it for ourselves and that's the hardest one is being able to actually yeah. like 
move towards our suffering, right? Sit with our anxiety, our shame, our sadness, our whatever, you know, and offer ourselves a, a balm for that um, in the same round of breath, right? I think in a weird way, I f- that's where I have had things backwards, where I feel like I have to heal myself before I have anything to give to anyone. I like, you know, you always right, hear right. that, like, you can't give from an empty cup, which is true. Yeah. But there is also an element where it's like, you know, how could I help anyone unless I have been helped? And so it becomes mm-hmm. this like, everyone's looking around like, who's going to help me? Who's going to help me? And no one's mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. extending out first. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe that goes back to that like self-centeredness that we are all deeply in. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, there's interesting sort of beliefs inherent in what you just said there of like, the idea that like we can't help from an empty cup. Like, do you ever actually have an empty cup? You know, is it possible to be an empty cup? Like, I mean, <laughs> that's I think that's point. actually kind of a divine intention of like, I am the empty vessel. There's right. nothing in it's me. Like, that's, the <laughs> you know, like, that's the point. Yes. I think that's actually what we're aspiring to. So if yes. you're there, that's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Just kidding. But I mean, being yes. in that, that, that receptive space, oh, you know, I think what you're talking about is is more physiological uh, exhaustion, right? And I yeah. experience this and, uh, you know, see this a lot in um, female clients and, and, and male clients too, but it's very endemic, like just all over in every sort of cultural set of people that I engage with um, that women go, I will take care of myself once everybody else is taken care of, right? And, and that... Um, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think it emerges out of our, you know, historical, very collectivistic societal value systems, right? Of going, you know, I need to take care of my my whole tribe, my whole village, my my whole family system, you know, and, and make sure that they're okay. But what is uh, sort of un acknowledged in in that that old way of being was that other people were also taking care of you you know now we don't have <laughs> right. collectivistic society we do not share yeah. and and women are still perpetuating that role a lot of the time where they're like okay I'll give I'll give I'll give but then they're not also practicing or or experiencing uh, reception too so I mean that's a that that I understand I think is what you said that like when the empty cup is when we're just so exhausted yeah you can't go pick up other people's problems for them, you know, but I don't think we're supposed to be doing that at all anyways, you know, like, and not, Mm -hmm. not in that kind of self-negating way where we are not drinking water and eating and exercising and stuff. And we're just like being there for our children constantly. Like, I I don't think that's beneficial and that it's, it's a hard pattern to change though. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that also starts to get into that whole, you know, why are you doing it? Is that true giving? Um, when it's coming from that place. Right, right. I mean, I think that, you know, you and we've talked about this briefly before too, is that like, is there ever true giving? You know, is there ever a non-ego, you know, involvement with it? Again, I guess that's why I really love Tong Len is because the first step is that you're moving towards something uncomfortable. You're doing something hard. And I really, I mean, this was a something my guides started saying to me years ago was, you are made for hard things. And I, I was like, what? Like, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> no, yeah, except I am. I know I yeah. am. Like, and, and this is yeah. a really primary teaching in Carlos Castaneda's lineage as well, you know, of like, 
spiritual warriorship meets challenges and just says, okay, like we don't go, oh, I don't like this, or this isn't the way it should be going, or, you know, like challenges are just challenges, he says, you know, they are not good or bad. We just meet them on the road and we go, this is what spirit has given me. So, all right, I guess I have, I mean, in the same biblical kind of sense, like God does not put before us what we do not have the capacity to navigate, right? Like we, and it's not our job to say, well, I don't like this. I want it to kind of look like this. You know, I think that's where we get a lot of unhappiness happening. Um, we yeah. we have to meet those challenges well. And, and I think we are made for hard things. And and in fact, when you look at again the neurobiology of of the prefrontal cortex and the 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 real expansion of our you know mature neurological possibility it's only through stress that we grow you know kelly mcgonigal who's at uh, harvard university talks about this of like really reconceptualizing stress as like a really good thing you know like we mm-hmm. we need stress we don't we don't expand we if we don't do hard things we atrophy you know we we turn into a puddle mm-hmm. we need to do hard things and western society has sold us this like oh you don't even need to get up and change the tv here's this you know remote cuz that's too hard <laughs> yeah. you know right, right? Right. And it's it's pacified the human spirit. It's 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 domesticated us to the point where we're like, ooh, I don't like hard things, but we're made for hard things. Yeah, it's our it's our nature. Do you? I, I, okay, so as you learn to sit with suffering more, and you know, not let it like rock you off your center, there's part of me that I'm like, how do you know what's equanimity? versus apathy where you've just like totally numbed out Mm, sometimes mm -hmm. I find myself listening to people and there are saying things that in the past I would have been like you know right there with them and I ache for them and now I'm just kind of like in some instances you know just taking it in like okay there's that and it's like eh is this the point (laughs) 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 Just like passive Allison, nothing flusters <laughs> exactly. her. Just. Exactly, like, mm, sucks for you. Uh-huh, totally, totally. <laughs> there is, there is a. I mean, yeah, that's a. It's an interesting question. I would defer to the body. You know, is that mm. if the mind will tell us all sorts of stories about how so-called equanimitist we are and we're okay with everything. (laughs) But we've been constipated for a week and a half and, like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the the frontal cortex is, like, throbbing and we can't move our jaw. I'm pretty sure that you might actually not be okay with what's going on, right? So, Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) Because I think that that's actually fairly common for people to go, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm good with this. I'm good with this. And you're like, wow, your yeah. eye's twitching. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, I'm fine. Everything's yeah, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. So, <laughs> you know, this, again, this this idea that we, um, we need to learn how to put the mind self in its place. And its place yeah. is as the servant, not as the master. It's not the place that it it doesn't come up with the stories because the mind is full of crazy ass stories that are generally untrue, right? As we've always talked about, mm-hmm. the body does not lie. 
nature does not lie, you know. And so if we want to come into knowing, you know, that practice of, of stilling and calming and training the mind, you know, through meditative work where you say, stay, like you are mine, you are my tool, you know, and, and we mm-hmm. recognize in a sense that we, when we say my tool, that the my that is saying that, the me that is saying that is is not the mind, you know, and, and I mean, this over-association we have with the stories of the mind is the birthplace of all of our neuroses. So we need that space first, right? Then we practice connecting with the body and constantly deferring to the body and, and paying attention to it. You know, like, I, I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast, but I've I've heard from people, you know, who get the deck. So there's this section in the deck, for those of you who don't have one, uh, called Soma, which is all about listening to the messages from the body. And somebody said to me a while ago that like, you know, a friend of theirs said, oh, those are the weird cards. I just take them out, you know, and <laughs> they just, they just want to, you know, like the, 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 the animals and the plants and the elements, right. everything are super fun. But like, I don't want to talk to my liver. Like, that's super weird, you know, but our bodies give us the most divine and immediate source of, of, awareness of what's actually going on for us, right? And we need to learn to uh, recognize them as the source of intelligence, as where the knowing emerges out of, right? The mind's job is to translate those those messages, and we have to relearn that, right? But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if a person is feeling equanimitous, their body will also be feeling equanimitous, you know? And so that's that's where they have to kind of look at. And it's very easy for us to go into spiritual bypassing, right? Which is like, I don't want to feel what is in my body, which is this this panic or this whatever. You know, I, I don't think I've told you about this, Alison. I've had this really interesting experience for since my daughter was born, so almost a year, where at about 10 o'clock, almost exactly every night, if I'm not asleep by that time, my body goes into what feels like uh, a full body panic attack, but it's not in my mind. I'm not worried about anything. I don't feel anything. I'm not anxious. I'm not, but my body Mm. is vibrating. You can actually see it. It's like shaking. And I, so like my response to this is like, get to bed at 8.30 so you never have to feel this feeling because I could not figure it out. I was like, you know, going into all just, you know, uh, nutritional stuff and trying to figure out what was going on with my adrenal glands or whatever. And nothing was off. And about a week ago, I was lying in bed and I'd stayed up too late. And so it started to happen. And, you know, I was like, okay, what is this? And I stopped and I put my hands on my body, one on my heart, one on my belly. And I actually listened to my body. And what it was, was when I was a kid, I was terrified of going to sleep Um, from about noon every day. From from the time I woke up in the morning till noon, I was happy and I was easygoing. And then I remember at school at about lunch hour, I'd start thinking about the fact that I had to go to bed that night because I was so wow. afraid of everything. And I would start getting more and more stressed and more and more stressed and worried. And I'd be thinking about it all the time because I was really afraid to sleep on my own. And then my parents would get really angry at me and frustrated because I was, you know, I was eight. I should be sleeping on my own. And I didn't invariably end up sleeping at the foot of their bed a lot of the time because I'd sneak in. I was just scared. I was a really scared kid. Mm-hmm. So sleep had that feeling for me. And that feeling has been trapped in my body for 30 years. And wow. it only now in this 
point in my life was ready. I was ready to feel it right now when we have the body, you know, saying, okay, so here's this old feeling that's been locked in here forever. You know, my job is not to fix it, to change it, to take a vitamin or a supplement or whatever to get rid of it. It's to actually let it be felt because whatever's locked in us is just an incomplete process, right? It's, it's, it has to finish its journey. And so mm-hmm sitting with it the other night and like actually letting myself feel it and parent my body in a sense to go, okay, little eight-year-old who's still feeling this feeling, this panic about sleep, like now you can feel this and I can let it be there, right? But I mean, I I didn't know it was there five years ago, right? And I've, it's only now that I'm able to actually like let that feeling out of my body. So the body's intelligence, you know, it has its own timeline. It has its own perfect sequence of processes. And it's it's so, but it's always right. It's always going to tell mm-hmm. us exactly what needs to be healed at this moment, right? Do you feel like you were able to get to that place because of your meditation practice or? Um, it's, you like know, how it's, that emerge? yeah, it's, it's a pretty hard thing to say one of the uh, like what one thing, um, meditation has always been foundational to, you know, the really hard work I think along the path, but like, I don't, I don't get to meditate aside from 10, 15 minutes in the sauna in the morning, you know, which is prayer, Mm -hmm. meditation, tricep dips, you know, like I'm doing some random (laughs) accumulation of things to try to keep myself sane and healthy. So, um, but yes, I mean, Meditation is what trains the mind so that it can, we can recognize that we can uh, think and feel something other than the disaster stories that emerge out of the mind, right? Um, the vagal nerve toning practices and, and you know, nervous system deactivation things that I've done throughout, you know, my healing process of sweats and and cold showers and making sure my gut bacteria are healthy like it's healing is complex for sure you know except i don't have you ever encountered wim hof he's like the the ice man oh my gosh my boyfriend is obsessed with him he's amazing he's, he's coming so... up everywhere oh yes. yeah we was on aubrey marcus i was listening to it i think a, a week ago or something this guy is just insane like people think i yeah. swear a lot on a podcast like this he's like <laughs> yeah, da, 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 and like yelling in this like super <laughs> crazy voice but you know i i really do believe that what he's saying is is completely true and, and accurate that yeah. like if you're willing to do what he proposes which is so hard like you know, sitting yeah. in, what did he say? He was standing in, in snow for three hours with no shoes on and like, yeah. like just using his breath, right? But he's like, he claims clearing ancestral trauma because he's literally like resetting the nervous system, you know, which on a, on a more moderate level, saunas and cold showers and everything else, but these are doing hard things, right? Healing is not easy. It's not like, oh, I went to, Peru and took some ayahuasca and ooh, it was it was so hard. It was sorry, I'm I'm using somebody else's voice here and it's not very nice. Just kidding. It's just <laughs> I have a really hard time with the whole idea of like I'm going here for two weeks. I'm gonna yeah. just have this facilitated for me. Yes, it's gonna be hard because it'll be emotionally exhausting for sure, but like it's it's not 
it doesn't happen like that. I mean, I, I've never met anybody who had this, you know, in spontaneous sort of experience like that. For the, all of us humans here, we have to do the hard work, you know. And and I, I like what Wim Hof proposes that, like, do really hard stuff and, and really change your system as, as much as possible, right? Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequoia people. All music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is.